Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. It's another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Last week, the FBI raided former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani's Manhattan apartment and office, seizing his cell phones and computers. Meanwhile, a federal grand jury in Georgia indicted three men on new hate crime and attempted kidnapping charges in connection with the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man. Preet Bharara and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com backslash insider. That's cafe.com backslash insider. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Some of the reporting suggests that a lot of what prosecutors are focusing on and this is confusing to me, and you and I texted about this, is the campaign that Giuliani assisted and spearheaded to get rid of the ambassador, Marie Yovanovitch. People remember her from the first impeachment in the matter of Ukraine. You know, I, I get the relevance of that if he was acting at the behest of the Ukrainian government who was sick of this woman who cared about corruption in Ukraine, as she very compellingly testified about some time ago. But on the other hand, I keep getting asked the question, can some liability or exposure extend to Donald Trump with respect to the campaign to fire Yovanovitch? And I'm not sure how that is the case, given that Donald Trump was the president and he didn't have to engage in any campaign or conspiracy to engage in some campaign to fire someone. He had the absolute unfettered authority to fire her whenever he wanted. You and I texted about this because I was confused. This whole business about Yovanovitch and Giuliani and Trump that there's wild speculation about. I don't know how to process that. Do you? I think we just don't know enough. You could almost characterize Trump as a victim, right? If Giuliani is doing the bidding of some Ukrainian or or other foreign national puppet master and feeding back information about Yovanovitch that taints her in Trump's eyes, that's sort of what FAIR is meant to do. It's, It's meant to make sure that people that are working for foreign entities disclose that so that people in government or even the public is aware of the bias that can be behind information that they're presenting. So if the ultimate question here is, does Donald Trump get indicted along with Rudy Giuliani? I think we're a long ways away from being able to say anything like that. I keep getting asked the question also, is Rudy going to flip? And I think that's a very complicated question. First of all, I don't know necessarily that Rudy has information with respect to this stuff that would give Donald Trump criminal exposure. But as people have pointed out, Rudy has basically been at the center of multiple controversies connected to Donald Trump, including the Ukraine thing, including trying to overturn the election, including talking about you know trial by combat and the insurrection. He spoke that day on January 6th. Trump is probably pretty loose or has been pretty loose with Rudy Giuliani. At the end of the day, if Giuliani gets charged, do you have any thought about what he might do to save himself? You know, clearly he doesn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison, so there's a powerful incentive to cooperate. Your district, like the district that I was U.S. attorney in, requires that for a defendant to cooperate, they have to be fully truthful 
about all criminal activity that they've been involved in, not just the case that they're charged in, which is why all of these other incidents, you know, sort of come up on Giuliani's horizon. So sure, he would have to talk about January 6th and whether there was anyone with criminal exposure there. It was a long four years, the Trump administration, and it could take a while to debrief Giuliani and determine whether or not he would even qualify as a cooperator. And then you have this issue of whether or not he could take the witness stand. I think that's a complex and interesting question. But I always remember the comment that he made after the election, after Trump had lost, when he was, (laughs) you know, out there in public, and there was concern about Trump flipping on him. And Giuliani says, I have insurance. I'm sure prosecutors want to know what that insurance is. Wait a minute. What did you say? It's late November. No, no, no. I'm not getting at the substance, Joyce. Okay. What are you getting at? Insurance. Insurance. Absolutely. Up up in Yankee land, it's insurance. No, insurance. Insurance? Y'all say it wrong if you say, what do you say? I think it's, (laughs) I think... Well, I'm an immigrant, so maybe I've gotten this wrong my whole life. I mean, I'm a but California I say, in, I girl, say, in, so. I say insurance. No, you say insurance. insurance. Yeah. Can we can we make a request to listeners to weigh in on this debate? Absolutely, insurance. but I'm, I'm going to win. It is definitely insurance. Maybe it's insurance. Maybe <laughs> 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 we're both wrong. I, but you know, I will say that I kind of like the sound of insurance. Yeah. It sounds like insolence. In this case, it might be insolence. All right. (laughs) You were making a very smart point, and I just I got caught up in insurance. And here I thought you were questioning the facts. No, no, no. I take all your facts at face value. So it's the pronunciation of some things. I remembered that, and I went back and I looked at some stories from late November about that. And Giuliani, as they always did, wrote it off after he made the comment about insurance as a joke. But that's the first question that I'm asking if I get to debrief Giuliani. So what did your insurance consist of? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've seen that question asked on the airwaves, and I don't know that we know what that's about. Like, look, it's a standard operating ploy on the part of Trump and his supporters. They say something that they mean, and then when someone picks up on it, they say, oh, it's just a joke. I heard Andrew, his son, say it was a joke. Some of his jokes land, some of his jokes don't land, which I thought was, you know, not an unreasonable way to try to deflect the question. But yeah, it's very it's very weird. The whole relationship is weird. Giuliani and Trump have had ups and downs, right? Reportedly, Giuliani wanted a cabinet position of great significance. Didn't happen. There have been times when the team around Trump has wanted Giuliani to stay off the air during the various scandals of the Trump era. It's a complicated relationship, but Trump seems to still like him and want him to, you know, defend Trump notwithstanding the people around Trump thinking that Rudy is is terrible and bad news. I guess the other thing we should talk about is this issue of attorney-client privilege. And I I stand by my view that that the likelihood of a charge is relatively significant. But how quickly will that happen? And on, on the one hand, some people will say that, and I've heard people say this, that the investigation must be pretty far along. They must have a lot of other information. By the way, people should appreciate that the Southern District, and Giuliani seems to have confirmed this, must already have many of Giuliani's communications. You don't get that from the search of the premises or the seizure of the devices, although there might be some things on the devices you only get through seizure. 
But you get that information from third parties. So, you know, email sent by Gmail and certain other kinds of things. You get that from Verizon or AT&T, wherever the provider is. But there might be new information on the devices and new information on the computers and in the files of Rudy Giuliani found on the premises. But there's going to be litigation about all this because it is true that there's such a thing as the attorney-client privilege. And they will be established something like a filter team. We saw that in the Michael Cohen case. And there will be challenges to what information can be used, what information cannot be used, what information has to be turned over. And just to remind people that in the Michael Cohen case, the court actually appointed an outside third party, a former federal district court judge, to oversee that process. It took some time, but then as soon as the the matter of the attorney-client privilege and the filtering of documents was completed, Michael Cohen was charged within days of that time. What do you think about the timing here? I bet the Southern District went to school on the Cohen situation. They are probably better prepared. We called it a taint team in my district, having a separate team. Yeah, that's well, I went on Samantha B once. Yeah. And I, and I said the word taint. What happened? I, I don't even <laughs> want to go into it. But the, <laughs> so there apparently are, there apparently, and this is a family show, but <laughs> since the Samantha B appearance, I say filter team. And I've heard clean team, too. Essentially, a group of investigators and prosecutors who won't try a case if there's an indictment so that if they see information that's attorney-client privilege, they are not tainted by it, as we say in the South. You know what? You know, I, I say filter for insurance purposes. Filter is pretty good insurance for you. I'm going to have to go back and watch that Samantha B episode, Preet. <laughs> I like it when you There's another very embarrassing thing that happened on that show that my daughter still makes fun of me about, which also I can't discuss on this family program. Well, good. It'll be a Vance family viewing tonight. Now I know what we're going to do. So attorney-client privilege. I think we should say, you know, the first thing about searches and timing is there are these complicated Fourth Amendment questions when you are looking at electronic devices. And so let's say you've got probable cause to search the pictures on someone's iPhone because you have a drug case and you've heard that they keep pictures of drugs and drug transactions on their phone. You go in and suddenly you find evidence of possession of child pornography. And so your investigation can morph and that can slow things down. Something that you often find on on phones, I hope I'm not giving up state secrets here, right, is sometimes you can have trouble getting into certain kinds of accounts that you know people have, and you get on their iPhone and they've got a notes file called passwords, and all of a sudden you're into everything with no need to jailbreak. But given that and given the experience in Cohen, One would suspect that the prosecutors here have tried to be thoughtful and set up a streamlined process that will give them access to the fruits of this search as quickly as possible so that they can get on with their business. It doesn't look like anything here has a statute of limitations problem, but of course there is a five-year federal statute of limitations that's ticking, and prosecutors are always mindful of that and wanting to get on with their business. Yeah, I mean, one point you the that you raise is very significant here. Only one? No, no, many things. Many, <laughs> many things, just all the things. All, all of the things. But the one thing I want to mention is search warrants have to be very particular. You have to recite in the search warrant application the statutory violations that you suspect there's probable cause to support a charge of. You have to be specific w- with respect to who the targets and subjects are. And you have to be specific with respect to what evidence 
you think you're going to find and what the materials are that you're going to seize. That is all true. However, as you note, they can come across other stuff. So if they have the ability to take, you know, a set of computer files, and it turns out that there's evidence of money laundering there, even if that wasn't one of the, you know, predicate statutes that they were investigating a violation of, you know, that evidence they don't have to shut their eyes to as long as it was properly obtained. There could be other possible exposure for Rudy Giuliani, right? So, you know, you go into someone's home based on a court-authorized search warrant. You know, people call this the plain view rule. And you're going in there to to see if there was check kiting or some other such, you know, financial crime. And you see a mound of cocaine on the table, you can bring a drug charge. So Rudy has to be worried about that too, right? Depending on what he's been up to, right? And so I'll speculate wildly for a minute. We didn't really include this when we talked about what charges he might be facing. But if there were payments of one type or another coming into him from foreign sources that he maybe didn't report, it's possible that they could find, for instance, evidence that could expand whatever investigation they have into tax fraud. There are all kinds of possibilities like that. Yeah, there are. I guess we'll see how the Giuliani thing unfolds, but it seems very significant and very serious. And things will probably keep happening on a fairly short time frame. But the last point I want to make is I find a particular argument that Giuliani and his son and others are making peculiar. And he keeps saying this thing, and I've been thinking about this for the last week. He says, you know, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anybody, right? And that's meant to be some kind of scary thought that, look at me, I'm really powerful and I'm really connected and I was the lawyer to the president. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to everyone. I have the opposite reaction to that. I don't think that's a scary thing. I think that's a beautiful thing. And it goes to the idea that, yeah, what can happen to you can also happen to the former lawyer, the president, the former mayor of New York. You know why? Because we believe in the rule of law. You know why? Because no one is above the law. And just because someone is powerful or connected or has a relationship with the former president of the United States doesn't place him beyond legal process, doesn't place him beyond being held accountable if there is evidence of the commission of a crime. It's like a very entitled way that I keep hearing these folks talk about this. If this can happen to me, it can happen to you. Well, I don't, I don't quite understand why they think that has the power they think it has. Am I looking at that the wrong way? I have the same reaction that you had. The rule of law is back, baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's important for, for this reason. The criminal justice system, really our legal system, only works as long as people have confidence in it. The, the confidence of the people in this country in the legal system flagged over the last four years. For one thing, we had a president who took constant pot shots at the FBI, even called out prosecutors by name. And so to see now that someone, even in a high position, connected to the former president, who is suspected, credibly suspected, of engaging in wrongdoing, that he can be subject to a search just like anybody else who violates the law— that is really reaffirming here. That's the beginning of restoration of confidence in our legal system and in the rule of law, and I am overjoyed to see it. Yeah, so next time next time you see someone who's powerful or used to be powerful exclaiming about how they can't believe it's happening to them given their power, applaud that. Absolutely, and that's such a great counterpoint to where we started, this sort of feeling of sadness that a former U.S. attorney, somebody steeped in the law, could engage in, in this sort of behavior, I think this is really the saving point, that it does show us that the rule of law actually does work. It's much-rumored demise is a little bit overblown. Speaking of the rule of law, interesting developments in Georgia 
in the homicide of Ahmad Arbery, a, an African-American man who was killed while he was out jogging. This isn't a police case, right, Preet? This is a little bit different from what we've been looking at in Minnesota with George Floyd. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have been talking about that case on the show. It was last February 2020. The only thing that Ahmad Arbery was doing was jogging on a... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com backslash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com backslash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.